0: Hello and welcome. My name is Adam Curtis and I'm the curate here at Christchurch and hello and welcome to everyone who's watching on the live stream. As we come to God's word let us start with prayer. Dearest God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not leave us stumbling in the dark but you speak to us and we thank you that your word is a light onto our feet and a lamp onto our path. Draw us. This day, Father God, speak to us this day. Show us the way to go. And may our hearts and our minds be humble and be willing to listen. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you do uh, have have a Bible in front of you, then do please keep it open. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. We live in a time of many voices. There seems to be so many voices in our world which are trying to capture our attention. There seems to be so many voices in our world which are claiming to have the authority over our lives. We live in a world, a time of many voices. And there's different religious voices as well. It's not just like there's just the the Christian voice. We no longer live in in that world. There's, There's also the Islamic voice. As a claim that, that we should be listening to Muhammad as this authority figure. But there's also the New Age voice, the claim that we should be taking sort of secular Western ideas, but also taking Eastern, maybe Buddhist sort of principles and merging them all together, and this should have authority over our lives. There's also the claim of the pluralist voice, that all these different voices equal, have equal value, that none is greater than the other, and each should be held with respect and each given its own place as a voice of authority, the pluralist voice. We also get this secular society voice of just be true to yourself. We hear it, we read it in our magazines, we hear it in our songs, we see it in, our, in the films and the movies that we watch. Be true to yourself, be true to yourself, be true to yourself. We live in a world in a time of many voices, of many claims of authority upon our lives, so in this time and in this moment, who should we listen to? Which voice should we, should capture, captivate us? And like, it can be overwhelming when we're surrounded by all these different authority sort of figures and authority voices, and and I feel that sometimes I'm just oh, I just want to go along with what majority of my friends think. I just want to go along with what my our culture thinks. I just want to go along with what's popular. I, want to just, oh, I just want to go along with that voice because I think that would be easier. And it feels overwhelming just having to choose oh, which, which voice are we actually going to listen to, which authority are we going to bow down to. So in this moment, in our time, in this world of many voices, well, what does God have to say to us? As we're feeling overwhelmed by the options and the choices, what is God's word? Well, today we're starting a series in um, the book of Hebrews, and um, Hebrews, well, this is a letter written to an early church, so this early church have, um, they've heard the news about who Jesus Christ is, they've come to believe in Jesus Christ, and just to give a little bit of context, if you've got a Bible either on your phones or right in front of you, turn to Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10 verse 32. Hebrews 10, verse 32. So a little bit of context about this church. Hebrews 10, from verse 32. Remember those earlier days, after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were were so treated You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. So this, um, this early church, they've heard about Jesus Christ, they believed in Jesus Christ, and, and they've gone well. They've got an impressive start. They've started the race well. They, they, they were being persecuted for being Christians, for believing in Jesus, and they kept on going. People were literally taking away their property, and they were rejoicing because they knew they had a greater possession in heaven. So they, they've started really, really well. However, as we, we saw there in the last few verses, there is a danger This early church, which has started the race so well, is facing a danger about them throwing away their confidence. And actually, this language comes up in Hebrews again and again. You started well, but don't throw away your confidence. Don't don't throw away what you've come to believe in. And we hear about this danger, don't throw away your confidence, and we're told then in verse 36 about this warning. They're given a warning. You've got to persevere. It's not just about starting the race, you've got to now finish the race. You've got to make it to the finish line. You've got to persevere. And this makes us ask the question, okay, so this church is doing well, but there's this warning that they could throw away their confidence, and they've been told they've got to persevere, and we see that throughout the letter. What's going on here? What's going on in this early church? What could possibly take them away, stop them persevering, stop them holding on to to their confidence? Now, we're not precisely told, but I think from reading through Hebrews, I think it's an educated guess to say. And I think that probably for this early church, there were some Jewish sort of like leaders or thinkers um, who were sort of coming among this early Christian church. And obviously, the Christian church is, grew out of Judaism. The two are forever married. But there were some Jewish leaders coming in amongst them who were sort of telling this early Christian church, like, do you know how good... It, like Judaism is and how it was. Do you, like, do you remember the high priests? How good they are. Do you remember the temple? How good that is. Do you remember the prophets? How good that is. And this early church seems to be confused, seems to be like, uh, willing to follow this alternative voice of, of authority and willing to go down that route. And so the author is sort of writing to them to warn them of this great danger so then this makes us ask the question, okay, this is the context, this early church which was doing well but it has got this danger, or how? How is this letter going to help? How is this letter going to help? How is this letter going to help this church keep its confidence? How is this letter going to help this church persevere? And what's fascinating is when you start looking at the letter, well, there's no greetings. <laughs> it's common in well, in not just biblical letters, in normal letters, you start with a greeting, you introduce yourself. How does, how does Hebrews start? Does it start with a greeting? Does it start a peace, peace to you? No, it just gets straight to the point. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So in these early verses, we're starting to see, like, the logic is starting to be displayed. Okay, in, in the past, God spoke to your ancestors by the prophets, the line of logic. And then we see it repeated in the next few phases, but this time, the line of logic's the same, but what's occurring is, has changed. In these last days, and by last days, it means now, last days is is a time between Jesus going up to heaven and Jesus coming back to earth. We are awaiting Jesus' return. So in the last days, so in the last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So the line of logic has stayed the same in the sentence, but now the emphasis has changed. It's not about the prophets of, of the past, as good as they were. It is now about Jesus Christ. It is now about the Son. Why would it be, why would it be appealing to listen to the prophets? Because as I read that first line, it's like, okay, it used to be about the prophets, but why, why, why is the prophets such a, like, why is this a thing which could ruin their confidence? Why, why, are they, why are they so eager to follow the prophets and to listen to what the prophets had to, to say? And as I was thinking and as I was pondering about the Old Testament prophets, well, it started to make me think how the stories of the Old Testament prophets, they are so striking, aren't they? They're so visual. Like, you think about Jonah, the story of Jonah. He got spat out of a whale. He then went to the the city of Nineveh where no one believed. He preached and the whole city repented. Whoa! I want to be then. I want to see that happen. Or we hear about Elijah, who, who challenged the prophets of Baal. And you hear about this great story of how the prophets of Baal, they built this big like pyramid of wood, they put their sacrifice upon it, and the challenge was that the sacrifice just had to light itself. And hundreds of prophets of Baal were like dancing and screaming and, and calling up to, to, their, to their god, being like, like this, this pyramid of wood and, and nothing happened. And then Elijah, he builds his pyramid. He's by himself. He covers it in water. He says a simple prayer and it inflames. Whoa! I want to see that. It's so impressive. It's so visual. Whoa, if I was, if I was alive during that time, my, my faith would just be through the roof. I'd be able to stand any storm. Whoa, that time is so impressive. And I think, I think this is why there is this allure of listening to the prophets, because that time is a very impressive time. But that isn't the world they lived in, and it's not the world we live in. Now, I've got to say it clearly, Hebrews is not undermining the Old Testament prophets. They were still God's messengers. But Hebrews is saying that something better has occurred. That we have a better messenger and a better Message. So why is the Son better? Because in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. Why is it better that we've got the Son? And I've got seven reasons for why it's better that we've got the Son. Reason number one, he is the heir of all things. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. I have um, a very good friend who comes from a very, very old family. Um, And this old family own a lot of land in South Wales. And right in the middle of all this land is a castle. Um, And it's very impressive. Now my friend is the middle son of three. And so he's getting none of it. All this land and this castle are all going to his older brother because his older brother is the heir his older brother is the heir. Well, Jesus, he isn't just the older brother of three. Jesus is the only son. Jesus isn't just the heir of some impressive castle and loads and loads of land. Jesus is the heir of all things. He has ownership over all things. He is the heir of all things. That is why he is better. Reason number two of why Jesus is better. Through him, everything was created. These these pews we're currently sat on. The lungs, which give us air so we can live. The heart, which beats within us, pumping blood around our bodies. Jesus created it all. All things were created through him. The third reason why Jesus is better. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the radiance of God's glory. Now, when the Bible talks about the glory of God, the glory of God is always married together with the presence of God. If you remember, in Exodus, you have that incredible story of the people of God being saved from slavery in Egypt, and they're brought out through the Red Sea to the mountain. Moses then is told by God how to build a a tent of meeting so that the living God of all creation can come and meet with his people. Moses builds this tent and the the cloud of God's glory descends upon it at the end of Exodus. God's glory is always married with his presence. So when we say that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, we're saying Jesus is the radiance of God's presence. And he pushes that, that glory out Jesus acts like like a mirror, so you have God the Father, Jesus Christ and the mirror reflects, pushing it further out so that more can see and more can know. Jesus is better because he is the radiance of God's glory. Fourthly, Jesus is better because he, he is the exact representation of God's being. Jesus is not a cheap knockoff. he is not a disappointing replacement. When we look at Jesus Christ, when we see him, we're seeing God. He is the exact representation of his being. Fifthly, Jesus sustains all things. We think that creation is just keeps on going. We think that the world is going to keep on spinning. It doesn't have to. The world doesn't have to keep on spinning. Creation doesn't have to keep on ongoing, we do not have to keep on breathing, we breathe, the world spins creation goes because Jesus Christ in his powerful word enables it to occur, sustains everything that we see, everything that we know, everything that we comprehend he sustains today and tomorrow and every day that will ever come Jesus sustains all things, that is why he is better sixthly he has saved us once for all Jesus Christ has saved us once for all. Look down with me at verse 3, and halfway through verse 3, you've got a second sentence. After he, Jesus, after Jesus had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. After he provided purification for sins, so purification for sins, so if, if our sin is our rebellion, everything which makes us dirty, everything which keeps us away from Jesus Christ, that that gap, that chasm, which Tom was talking about earlier. It's our sin which keeps us that distant from, from God. Jesus Christ has purified our sin. He is, he's washed us. He is that cross. He died on the cross which creates that bridge so that we who are sinful can now be at one with our creator and our maker and the lover of our souls. So Jesus purifies us. He purifies us of our, of our sin. Now this language of purification... It is Old Testament language because back in the Old Testament you had a high priest who would make a yearly sacrifice to God for the sins of the people and this sacrifice to God that would sort of wash them for that year but then the next year the high priest would have to go again and then the next year 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 his job was never done he was never finished because the people kept on sinning and his sacrifice wasn't complete Jesus sits down when, when it says that Jesus purified his people of their sins and then he sits down, it means he is finished. He has ascended into glory in heaven. He is sat and he doesn't have to get up again. The high priests have to get up again. Oh, another sacrifice. Oh, another year. Oh, another sacrifice. Oh, the people have sinned again. Does Jesus have to do that? No, he sat down. Jesus has sat down. He's not going to have to get up again. He doesn't have to do it again. His work is complete. His work is final. His work is finished. When Jesus says it is finished, it is finished. And there is no doubt. Reason number seven. Jesus is superior to the angels. Now when I first read this in in, in verse four, I'm like, it seems a bit odd. Why, Why mention angels? Why do we need to know that Jesus is superior to the angels? And as we keep on like reading through the next verses and then pondering about it, I realize it's because angels are, are messengers of God as a prophet. So these, these, these verses are all about the prophets why Jesus is better. Well angels are messengers of God. Think about who told Mary she's going to give birth to a, a son, an angel who told Joseph that she, he shouldn't just divorce Mary but should Stay committed to him, Him. an angel. Angels are messengers of God, as prophets are. And here we are told that Jesus is superior. He is superior to every angel. He is superior to every other messenger. He is a superior messenger and he has a superior message. Reason seven, he is superior to the angels. Okay, that's a run through from verses 1 to 4. There's a lot more meat there we could probably delve into. Why has God given us this? Why here in the 21st century in SIGCAP, why do we need to know this? Why has God spoken to us this word? He said, this church needs to hear this. Why do we need to know this? Jesus is saying to us today, listen to me. Jesus is saying to us today, listen to me. The Beginner's Bible, the very first Easter, this is a perfectly adequate description of Easter, which I'm perfectly happy to give to my nieces. It's nothing compared to the actual Bible. The Bible is deeper, the Bible is richer, the Bible is fuller, This is the prophet, this is the son. It's deeper and it's richer and it's fuller. Listen to him. When Jesus speaks, he speaks with one who has authority. Authority is wrapped up in his nature because he is the son of God. That little child who is struggling with their shoelace, they they need someone who knows what to do. So their parent comes in and helps them tie it. That authority is wrapped up in their nature because their parent has lived this life, this child hasn't lived and knows what to do. Jesus has authority. So we should listen to him. We live in a world, in a time which is full of many, many voices. There are many competing authority claims upon us. Now back then, in the time of this early church in Hebrews, well... Back then, the the voices which they were tempted to listen to were the ones who wanted to say, no, 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 the Jewish way was better. Go back to the Jewish way. Go back to the prophets. Now that, I don't think for many of us today, that's what we're being tempted by. But we are being tempted by other voices to listen to alternative sources of authority. But the voice of Jesus is always better. So listen to him that is Islamic voice which tells us that Muhammad is the final prophet and he is the one who we should be listened to above all. Well, in Jesus we have the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's better. We're being told again and again, listen to that pluralistic voice. Every voice has equal authority. None is better than the other. Well, in Jesus we have the heir of all things, the one who is superior to all other messengers. Jesus' voice is better. We hear this secular voice which tells us again and again, be true to yourself, be true to yourself, be true to yourself, no matter if you hurt yourself, no matter if you hurt other people, no matter the pain, no matter the misery, no matter what it does to you and your society and everyone else around you, be true to yourself, be true to yourself, be true to yourself. Jesus' voice is better because in him we have the one who made us. And in him, we have the one who sustains us. Jesus is better. His voice is a better voice. The competition for our ear in this day and age is fierce. We live in a world of many voices. But we must not be fooled. We must not throw away our confidence. We must persevere. For the voice we need is the voice we have. God has spoken to us by His Son. The question is are we listening? Let's pray. Dearest God. King of kings, Lord of lords, we thank you that you speak to us by your son. We thank you that his voice is the better voice. Please, Father God, in our different lives, in our different moments, in our different situations, with our different knowledge of of who you are, will you please speak powerfully to us so that we may be humble and may be willing to listen to everything that Jesus has to say. We ask this in his most precious name. Amen.